Like you see Dwayne at, at the Special Olympics. You see him hugging the coaches. Mm. You see him giving a high five to the other athletes. Love it. You know, I, I was like, it's, it's so not about winning. It was one of those moments where I was realizing so much more about what I thought I knew and what I was actually learning from the simplicity of, of Dwayne's interactions mm. and his, his life. Hello there, and welcome to This Is My Family, a podcast about building a life with the people you love. I'm your host, Tyler Green, and I'm so glad that you're here. I'm raising a baby with my husband in California. I'm always fascinated by how we all make our families and how those families end up making us. We here define family in the most inclusive way possible biological or chosen, I talk to my guests about the people who they call their family and how that group has evolved over the course of their lives. For the season two finale of our podcast, I wanted to introduce you, dear listener, to someone who has been a recent addition to my chosen family. My friend Dawn Frazier is an incredible storyteller. We found each other through the storytelling community. We both worked for a live storytelling event in public radio show called The Moth, but had never met until the pandemic. She lives really close to me in the Bay Area of California. My husband and son and I moved here in the midst of these strange pandemic times. We didn't really know anyone out here. And Dawn is an amazing human who led us into her life and her pandemic pod. And because both Dawn and I are vaccinated, it means that for the first time ever on This Is My Family, I got to be in the same room as the person I was talking to. So fun. Dawn is a twin, which is a sort of family bond we've never talked to someone on the show about before. And her experience is one in a million. Her twin brother has Down syndrome, and she does not. We'll talk about her relationship with her brother, what she's learned from him, how their relationship has evolved over time. But I started by asking her to paint a picture of what the Fraser house was like growing up back in the day. So the Fraser household growing up was a lot of fun. Because there's never a lack of people around. You know, my immediate family, there's four of us. So older brother by about eight years, older sister about about five years. And then myself and my twin brother, Dwayne, Don and Dwayne, mm. um, born at dawn. And then my mom had surprised my dad, not letting him know that there was going to be twins. And so when my dad rolled up and he was like, there's, there's two babies. Oh, my God. And they didn't have names yet. Um, <laughs> Jesus, what a surprise. I know. Could you imagine? She held that out against no. her husband Oof. for like several months. But then they put on my wrist baby A because I was born first and then on my twin brother, Dwayne, baby B. And my dad said, wait a minute, hey, we're not putting no baby A and baby B. So they were like, this one was born at dawn. So name her dawn. And then they did something that like rhymed or something that was fancy. Or, and so they're like, and Dwayne, it kind of rhymes. So Dawn and Dwayne. So they took off baby A and baby B and put Don and Dwayne. Mm. Um, and so that was kind of like the the the, the joy of, of our family was my mom and dad were kind of always playing jokes on each other or little pranks, um, including, you know, not even letting my father know that she was having twins. 
And then considering that we were a West Indian family in an area where there's not a lot of West Indians, there's Indians, there are some black people, but we were pretty much in an area where it was mostly white or rural-ish. Where is this? It's in San Jose. Okay. But it's so far south San Jose that technically we were in a different school district, Hmm. which is called Morgan Hill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we're in San Jose, South right. San Jose, Morgan South Hill. Jose, right. What was going on around that time when like, you were younger? Like, What other people were there? What was it like? Paint the picture of that spot. Yeah, so I should probably back up and let you know that my dad is the eldest of 11. Mm. Um, wow. And my mom is the middle of about seven. So my dad being the eldest meant that he wanted to bring a lot of his family from Trinidad and Tobago to the United States. Mm-hmm. So we always had family that was either kind of either coming through or getting settled in California. So the house always had extended family. You know, if it wasn't my my grandmother that was living with us at one point in time, um, then it was an auntie who was doing a wedding celebration at the house, you know, or it was a bunch of cousins always running around and, you know, they put a pool in the backyard or it was it was always filled with some type of an event because my dad was kind of like the the the, the headmaster oh, yeah. and for the family. Um, so there's always there's always people. There's always a lot of mm. food, a lot of things that were happening. So it always felt very Trinidadian inside of our little ecosystem mm. on you know Chantilly Court. I was about to say you better say the name of the street because that's <laughs> funny as hell. <laughs> Chantilly Court could not be more suburban. Where you live, Chantilly Court. Chantilly Court. So you're a twin, right? So not a lot of people are twins. What are some of your earliest memories of of being a twin? (laughs) Oh my gosh. This is a funny question. Um, The reason why I'm laughing is because one of my earliest memories of being a twin is always wanting to wiggle his ears. I know this is going to sound crazy, but I think I was doing this in the womb. So Aww. he would sit down like on the steps of, of our house and I would sit next to him and I would just kind of like take my fingers and like gently like kind of like flap his earlobe. And it was one of those things where he knew to expect that from me and it would make me feel comfortable. You know, if there was nothing else going on, if I didn't have to do homework or eat or whatever, we we're just chilling. I would just always flap Dwayne's ears. And from the earliest memory, I, I just remember sitting next to him and and playing with his ears for the longest time until like we were probably damn near in junior high. Mm. And then when you know when you start to become a little bit more conscious of your life, I started thinking to myself, why why do I flap Dwayne's ears? Comfort? I think so. I think mm. that, you know, like literally he was my womb-mate, right? You said womb-mate. My womb-mate. <laughs> That's silliness. <laughs> you know, it's true though. Yeah. That's like... I shared a womb with this with this that's so sweet yeah I love that yeah so I think that from from jump you know it was that kind of physical touch that made things really assuring for me like as a baby you didn't always realize that he was different from you though right one of my earliest memories is is with Dwayne is we're sitting on top of the stairs and they were worried that we had gotten into one of the cabinets you know, like, you know how the childproof cabinets are these mm-hmm. days. <laughs> so apparently we, we had gotten into one of these drawers and my mom started freaking out, like asking my dad if Dwayne had gotten to the Drano. Mm. Um, and 
I was I didn't know what Drano was and I didn't see him drinking anything. But you know, I was too young to like articulate anything. Right. So I was like, no, Dwayne, Dwayne didn't have any Drano. There's, we're we're fine. We were just kind of roaming around the you know the hallway here. Yeah. Um. So I do remember like moments like that when they were really worried about if something had happened, and that's when I started feeling like I might be the one who might need to like look out for yeah. my twin brother. Yeah. As opposed to just be like my my buddy or the one that I would whose ears uh, I would wiggle. Yeah. You know. But actually, that I might need to keep a little bit more of an eye on on him, possibly help him out every now and then, mm. you know? Yeah, when you were what, like, how old are you? About five or six. Five or six, yeah. Yeah, yeah that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I, I didn't have a definition of normal, but I did have a sense that I was a little bit more like my older brother and my older sister, who would, you know, be required to look out for us, that as his twin, I might also need to be looking out for him also. I would love to hear you tell me about Dwayne, like, what is he like and what does he like to do? And just just tell me about him. So as his children, he was always, always, always involved in like the Special Olympics and like other social activities like the Boy, Scou- the Boy Scouts. So but the Special Olympics for me was like our jam because I was convinced I was going to be an Olympian. I was the fastest in the, my school. I was the fastest in this region for the 800 and for the mile. Okay, champion. Yeah, that was my shit. Nice. That was my shit. Saturday mornings, I would have either like a cross-country meet or a track and field meet. Afternoons, Dwayne would have his meets or on Sundays. So it was just back-to-back sports on, on the weekend. So Dwayne was the one who was always really open and loving about the sports and I was the one who was always like super competitive about the sports. Mm-hmm. I remember when my older brother, my older sister, myself and Dwayne became of age and realized that we liked running a lot. There was this one moment where my older brother wanted to race uh, all of us. And so we line up and we're, we're sprinting towards this tree. Right. And I'm like, right, like right on the heels of my older brother. Um, and he's like, wait, 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 we're going to, we're going to race again. So I'm like, okay. So we go back to the beginning of the, of the race. He picks up Dwayne and he puts Dwayne on his shoulders. <laughs> and now, well, not on his shoulders, but on his back, like yeah. a piggyback. Yeah. And he's running with Dwayne so that Dwayne can win the race instead of me, because obviously <laughs> I was, I was being a brat trying to yeah. outrace everybody. Cause you got to win. Yeah. Champion. I gotta, I gotta be the champion. Yeah. So. And and then, of course, Stephen wins with Dwayne, puts Dwayne over the finish line first. So there was always these times where, like, you know, if it was, like, racing or if it was, like, playing Star Wars with those, like, those light savers. I think that everybody from my parents to my older brother and my older sister, I think that everybody tried to include Dwayne as much as, as possible, kind of seeing how competitive I would be. And <laughs> <laughs> trying to help you out a little bit. Totally. <laughs> Those were always just like backyard races though, right? Like you and your twin brother were both track athletes and he actually competed in the Special Olympics. What was it like to watch those races? There was this meet in Gilroy, which is the city about two cities south from where we live. And Dwayne was racing in the Special Olympics. We must have been around 12, maybe 13 at this point in time. Dwayne is kicking ass in this race. Like he's he's smoked everybody. This is the 100-yard dash. 
Like he is, he's done with the race. And before he gets to the finish line, he stops. (laughs) (laughs) And he like, we're all like, Dwayne, go just cross the line, cross the line, cross the line. And he, he doesn't, he waits for like the other runners to, to catch up to him. And they pass the line first. That's so sweet. Well, at the time I was like, I didn't know what the hell was going on. And I was like, is he helping out the other runners? Is he confused that he needs to cross first? Mm-hmm. Like, like we do with Frasers, we win, we win these races. Mm-hmm. I didn't know like what, what the deal was. So like from that moment forward, I was like, I'm going to teach Dwayne how to finish strong, how to win, yeah. you know, because <laughs> I was like, maybe he didn't know that he needed to cross the yellow line. Right. You know, he doesn't really talk a whole lot. Mm-hmm. He understands a lot, but he doesn't always talk a lot. Uh-huh. And so I didn't know if he was confused. I didn't know if he was doing this out of g- generosity. <laughs> I was yeah. just confused. I was just confused. Did you ever figure it out? No. 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 But I did figure out what it meant for me later on in life, mm. which was that, A, it wasn't about winning. Like you see Dwayne at, at the Special Olympics. You see him hugging the coaches. Mm. You see him giving a high five to the other athletes. Love it. You know, I, I was like, it's, it's so not about winning. So... It was one of those moments where I was realizing so much more about what I thought I knew and what I was actually learning from the simplicity of of Dwayne's interactions mm. and his his life. Mm. So I'm just curious too, like how do you communicate? You know, you said he doesn't talk a lot. So like how do the two of you communicate then and now? And I have seen you interact, so I know that, that you speak to each other and you have like but just for like the listener too. I mean, it's very verbal, but at the same time it's a lot of kind of clarifying to make sure that, that he's understanding like what it is that we want him to do or mm-hmm. to, you know. And sometimes it's really challenging because we may not have a full picture of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I remember, for example, when he went to a transition to independent living program when I went to UCLA. And so transition to independent living means like you're learning to, to cook for yourself, to clean for yourself, you know, to take care of your bills. Right. And one of the first places that he lived in on his own was a transition house with other people who have Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. And there was this one day where it's still unclear as to what happened, but he was out grocery shopping. And I don't know if somebody thought that he was lost or that something was wrong with him. It's not really sure what happened, but somebody called the police and the police were like, okay, well, where does he live? Who's responsible for him? And, you know, he'll he'll say basic things like, you know, like he'll give the address or he'll say what his mom's name is and that kind of stuff. And it was one of those situations where we didn't know, like, what his version of the story was. Like, mm-hmm. he didn't know, like, you know, if, if he was looking for something, if he had asked a question. And sometimes we don't ever get full clarity as to, like, what was going on. Of course, this was probably just some, some white woman, you know, mm-hmm. calling the police on mm-hmm. on somebody that she was threatened by, you know, um, which makes no sense. But it was also the reason why my mom, after a while, was like, okay, you know what? Instead of him living in a transition home with other people with special needs, let's just have him live (laughs) under my roof. So kind of going back to your question about communication, you know, because there isn't a lot of words, we just kind of have to like ask a lot of questions. We have to ask, make sure that he, he understands. He's very routine oriented. Mm -hmm. So you give him a routine, you give him a task, he he knows what to do it on what day. Right. He follows calendars. He loves to. <laughs> nice. He loves he loves having structure, like, structure and, and mm-hmm. daily tasks. You mm-hmm. know, so me too. 
<laughs> me too. So yeah, as long as that's articulated in terms of like what we want him to do and whatever he needs, mm-hmm. then, you know, but it's not always clear when confusions pop up, if you will. Yeah. You started alluding to some lessons you learned from him about kind of embracing the joy of the moment, not getting caught into, you know, needing to win, but just the fact that somebody is there being joyful and connecting with another human. Oh my gosh, that's enough. Like, um, what else, if anything, have you learned from your brother? He loves babies. If you bring over Sammy, like he will walk around with Sammy and not put him down if, (laughs) if he's allowed to. And I remember when I first started being around my my friends' babies, mm-hmm. um, I would be really worried about like about holding them. And I was like, these this this baby weighs like four pounds. Like, mm. like I'm so nervous around little to tiny ones. Now I'm a little bit better, but I do remember kind of like watching the way that Dwayne was just so embracing and so loving of little kids that mm. I was like, okay, I need to take a note on just like on on holding and being present and because you know babies probably feel all that energy. Oh, yeah. So that's one thing I remember learning from Dwayne is just like watching how he was so gentle and confident with children Mm. that I could do that, too. I just needed to like kind of get out of my mind that I was going to drop this baby or that something was going to happen to this baby. I also loved the way that he like when he would hug my dad, especially my dad, he would never let go. He's like a hugger. And then somebody told me about this quote, like, you know, when you give a hug, never be the first to let go. And I was like, oh, that's what he's been doing in practice, not just in theory, mm. you know? God. All, if if I could just do one of those things, I think my life would be improved. I mean, even with Sam, it's like he's there in front of me. But if I'm thinking about work or I'm thinking about something else, and it's just like I, I constantly am like reminding myself, remember, this is your son. <laughs> and he's, you know, doesn't care about all that other stuff. Yeah. And he'll remember like these moments of, of dad, daddy, like, you know, just being present, yeah, holding him, carrying him around, having fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's you and your three siblings growing up, right? Yes. But then you have all this extended family. So my dad being uh, from a family of 11 and my mom being from a family of seven, I wanted to kind of get to know more of them. And so after... Grad school in in the Cambridge area in Boston, I decided I wasn't quite ready to move back to California. So I went down to New York City, Brooklyn, Brooklyn in the house. Mm. And that's where I really got a good chance to connect with so many more of the family who had not yet immigrated from New York to California Mm. or had stayed in New York. Mm. And that was the beginning of me also understanding so much of my own heritage being, you know, first generation, being around other West Indians, other Trinidadians. And so it was cool to be able to get to really step into a space where there's a whole crew of other Trinidadians to be able to go get the food. (laughs) One of my responsibilities when I came from New York to California, every single Christmas time was to wrap up some Trinidadian food from New York to bring to California to San Jose. Um, not because we can't get like, you know, pig's feet and oxtail and, you know, these kind of things that we eat for for Christmas time, but just because like there's such a huge mecca of Trinidadians in New York 
that we just know that it's going to be fresher. It's going to be, yeah. you know, put the way that it's as close as it is on the islands as possible. Yeah. So, yeah. So every single Christmas time I would bring like roti skin and pig's feet and salt fish and rum cake, black cake. I mean, I would have more food in my <laughs> luggage <laughs> than I would actually have of clothing. It was it was insane. What does a celebration look like in your family? A celebration is always a lot of people mm-hmm. and a lot of food, but never a bother. And because our our house it was a little bit bigger, like there was just a lot of events. Yeah, it was a hub. It was a space where we could always get together, watch soccer games. You know, they became acclimated to the states and started following football and American mm. football and um, and basketball. You know, mm-hmm. so there's always just a lot of food, a lot of people, a lot of rum, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of rum um, and good times. So Dawn's family is back in California. She's on the East Coast and they've developed this tradition of Dawn bringing food home to California for the holidays until one year, the whole family decided to do Christmas back in Trinidad and Tobago. So after all of these years of coming back and forth, back and forth between New York to California, I think it was probably my fourth year in New York where my mom was like, you know, we're going to be going to Trinidad and Tobago for Christmas. So I was relieved because I was like, oh, great. I don't have to bring any roti skin. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have to bring any pig's feet. I don't have to bring... Any of this stuff, no salt fish. It's all there. It's all there. It's we're gonna be in Trinidad Tobago. Exactly, exactly. But then she flips (laughs) the script. She flips the script, (laughs) (laughs) and she was like, "Okay, now I need you to bring a twenty. I think it was a twenty to thirty pound turkey (laughs) from Pathmark, you know, or any grocery store that I could find in New York City." And bring a turkey to Trinidad. And I was like, why would I do that? There's got to be turkeys in Trinidad. There has to be. She's like, no, but you know, the turkeys are the small and they don't have as big, big plump turkeys. It's <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. Oh. So instead, now here I am with a, a huge, a huge ass turkey in my backpack. I literally asked my mom, like, mom, am I allowed to, to take a turkey in to a different country. Like, you know, going from like New York to California is like right. one thing. I don't know if I need to declare a turkey. It's <laughs> <laughs> the name of this episode. Declaring a turkey with Don. <laughs> I, I literally have no clue. And I was like, mom, this might be foul play. You know, you get it? Foul play. That's getting cut. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah. So, sure enough, I, I get to immigration and this turkey, which was supposed to be deep frozen. And it was deep frozen. But, I mean, after like 12 hours of travel, it's not going to be as deep frozen as it was when I started this whole thing. Um, and it starts like getting like a little, a little juicy. It's getting a little damp up in there. You know, customs people ask me, they're like, yo, do I have anything to declare? Once again, I don't know if I'm supposed to declare a turkey. I know I'm supposed to like declare like plants. I know I'm supposed to declare like other things like that. Right. But a turkey? So I say no. And so they're like, okay, great. So I know I'm in the clear, but I still need to get to Tobago, which is the smaller island of the two. So, you know, I have to get on another plane, one of those two propeller jets, 
land in Scarborough. Turkey dripping. <laughs> Turkey is dripping at this point. Oh my God. And I still have about another like hour and a half, two hours on a windy, windy cliffside road up until like this little tiny village in the northeast corner of, of Tobago. Um, and I finally, finally got there. I was like, I got the turkey. It's here. Like, okay, quick, quick, quick. Put it, in, you know, put it in the freezer. Um, and I'm like, I'm ecstatic because like I'm, I'm, I'm the it. one who, yeah. You like to win. But get, get this though. All of a sudden, because not only were we there for Christmas, but it was also my cousin's wedding. Uh-huh. So my other cousin from New York had brought a three-layer cake, a three-layer wedding cake from New York. Somehow or another, it survived either in the overhead <laughs> luggage or on his lap. I don't even know. <laughs> a three-layer cake had brought it from New York City for the wedding. <laughs> oh, my God. Did y'all eat the turkey? We had the turkey... The cake came out amazing. My sister had brought a ham from, you know, also from the United States. There's more. There's more. There was, Tyler, there was so much food. I thought that I was the only one in the family who was responsible for always bringing all this food back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And all of a sudden I realized that my entire family does this. More with Don Frazier in just a minute. If you're enjoying this episode, I hope you'll follow wherever you're listening. I love hearing about how people build chosen family, especially when they fly the nest and start living far from wherever they grew up. That's a big part of Dawn's story. After growing up in California, she lived on the East Coast for 14 years in New York and Boston. She built tons of community and chosen family there, especially in the storytelling community and another that's tied to her martial arts tradition. I have so many different versions of chosen family. Yeah. Um, and I think it's not only based off of ethnicity, but it's also based off of like creative passions. Right. So if you ask any of my South Asian friends, like, you know, who I am, they would say that I'm family. I have a crew of South Asians that I roll with. Right. But I also have a crew of Latinos, mostly Mexican and Colombian, that I also roll with. And then I have a whole crew of other like West Indians, Jamaicans, Trinidadians, you know, Bayesians that I also roll with. And it's funny because when... It's Bayesians. Oh, from um, Barbados. Okay, good. Yeah. Now I, know, I learned it. Yes. Learned yes. You're getting... I, I literally was like Bay Area Asians. Bay Asians? Area Asians. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? That's cute. I have a crew of Bay Area Asians as well. <laughs> I also have a crew of just queer women of color. Right. And when people see that there's a lot of like overlap, that I'm kind of like a part of all these crews that are crews within in and of themselves. Yeah. They always ask me like, how? Like, well, you have so many like beautiful connections with these people. And I don't know what it is, but my chosen family has always been deep, like communities of color, uh, queer communities. And then, of course, like, you know, storytellers. So are there people or um, specific stories from the Chosen Family universe, specifically like in the New York chapter um, that you think of, like to kind of give us a sense of like who are some of the strongest bonds that you had and, and, and what did that, what does that look like for you now? You're sitting here with me in my room in San Jose. So like when I ask you the question about Chosen Family, like whose face do you see? Oof. Wow. I mean, 
okay, it's kind of a it's a mixed bag between the storytellers and the capoeira community. Mm-hmm. I start off with capoeira because. Can you define what capoeira is? Oh yeah, so capoeira is an Afro-Brazilian martial art. Mm-hmm. Its origins are in Angola. Capoeira is it's a cult family because it's very much like you have a master. We call our or mestrada in, in Portuguese or, or mestre, right? So we have a master. So it's very kind of like Asian in that, like, you know, there's there's one person that's kind of like the head of this of this crew. Yeah. Right. But then because it is a martial art, we're there with each other almost on a daily basis, mm-hmm. sometimes five days a week, training for many hours training our mind, training our body, training our soul. And so you can imagine that the people who are drawn to this, the people who are in it, they automatically become, they they become family. Yeah. We spent so much time traveling with each other, going to each other's events. I spent almost every single Thanksgiving in, in New York city at one of my Capoeira family members houses. Mm. Um, and she's Asian from, you know, the Bay area, you know, we would not have known each other had it not been for capoeira, mm. you know? Um, so I feel like there was such a strong bond um, with my capoeira chosen family in New York. It wasn't until I started getting like mid thirties where my body was telling me that, you know, like all the squatting, all the flipping, all the handstands, that kind of stuff might need to like chill Tone it down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also I realized that the time that I was using at nighttime for training or whatnot, I could also be telling stories or I could also be writing poems or doing something else. I was also creative that was a little bit less strenuous on my knees and my body. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I started looking into other ways of creatively expressing myself. And that's when I found the storytelling community, like yeah. The Moth and Story Studio and Risk and all these shows that are based in New York City mm. that... I would remember going to a show and be feeling like, oh my God, like I, I know this person, I know this Adam character, I know this, you know, this, this dude. And I didn't, I had just been hanging out in the storytelling scene Mm -hmm. enough to feel like I knew their stories and it felt weird to not also share mine. Mm -hmm. So little by little, I started like sharing my own story on stages, volunteering. What is it about you and having these various groups of chosen family, right? Like you've described, uh, I mean, obviously you live in New York and so like there's a lot going on, lots of opportunity to build community, but it just sounds a little bit to me like you are like a, um, like a friend adventurer or like you're trying to explore culture through people and like you're drawn to that. And so I'm just curious like what it is about you that creates these chosen families in the way that's that you a good have. question. You know, I think what it is about me is growing up knowing that I was black, knowing that we were immigrant black, mm-hmm. knowing that we were in an area where I felt most comfortable around like Mexicanos, mm-hmm. Latinos, knowing that there was a flavor to the foods that I love that was South Asian and realizing that whenever we went back to Trinidad and Tobago, that it was, it was all of these things. Mm-hmm. It was all of these cultures that I felt very 
interested in studying languages. So I ended up like living this life where I started, I learned Spanish by like living in Mexico for almost a year and then living in Brazil because I wanted to know about other people from like the diaspora, like other Africans who were in Brazil or Trinidad or Jamaica or New Orleans or the United States. So I think that me, I was always curious about like, how did my family get to Trinidad? And then how did my family get from Trinidad to New York and then from New York to California? And how has that like kind of played a role in like everything that yeah. I am? Yeah. So I think that I've started to gravitate towards all these different groups because I've, I've lived in different spaces once I had that opportunity to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, Brazil became like a third home after like California and Trinidad because I saw so much of them in me, like the mixed blood between like African and European or African and something else, you know, in my case, like African and, and Indian, which is how I have like this kinky, but stringy hair. Mm. Um, so for me, it's always been like, I love infusing myself into other places because I go to Brazil, people automatically think that I'm Brazilian and I speak the language good enough where if you, unless we have an extended conversation, you're not going to know that I'm American, you know? When I was living in Mexico, it was a little bit more of a stretch because I don't look as Mexican unless I'm like in a particular area of Mexico where there's like really dark skinned people. But I do kind of feel like I made, I, I, and I've spent a lot of time in India, Hmm. you know, Um, not a lot of time, but you know, more than several months. A world traveler. I do a lot of travel, but that's, that's my family. Those are the people that there are all these different mixes of people. I had to find out who I was. And so through the languages, through the travel, um, I just always kind of connected with these groups of people. Hmm. So I'd say that, that 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 chosen family had so much to do with my own family's migration pattern. Wow, that's so interesting. I never thought about it like that, but but yeah. And now she's back home, like home home, living in her mother's house in her childhood bedroom. I had to know what that feels like and how her relationship with her parents is different now. Everything has changed and everything's the same. Mm. Growing up, I was convinced that my mom, more so than my dad, but my mom had us to do chores. That's what, that was my, I was convinced. Mm-hmm. Um, because I would always be, my, if it wasn't my brother, my, my sister, or my, my twin, like we were always doing chores around the house. And not like regular shit. Like I, I know that some people get paid to mow the lawn or right. they get paid to wash the dishes. Yeah. We would be... Like under the house where there's, there's no basement, but like under this tiny little area to fix an air vent, you know, for going out from the, the, the dryer. Or we'd be like on top of that roof cleaning out gutters. <laughs> we don't do regular shit. Like <laughs> You do the stuff we're supposed to hire a contractor for. Exactly. Exactly. Got time for all that. Exactly. You do it. No. Yeah. And that's why they, they had us. I was convinced. I was like, <laughs> they, they had us to do these chores. Listen. And I'm sure that this is how it was in Trinidad. I'm sure like everybody, you know, you don't hire people. You just find somebody it. in the house to do it. Right. Yeah. So at first it was it was very much like, okay, this is just a temporary stop. Little by little, this was like, okay, this is going to be a longer stop. And then with COVID, it was, okay, this is going to be a stop for a lot longer than expected. Hmm. So it's it's gone through different phases from being like, okay, this is home to this is home with... um 
the expectation I'll be out of here pretty quickly to now, okay, this is home. I'm back under my mom's roof. I'm back under my mom's rules, but I'm an adult and I need to both create space to do my own professional work. Um, but I also know that she's older and that's the reason why I came back home mm. was to kind of like make sure that I'm looking out for her, you know, I'm looking out for Dwayne. Um, and that I'm looking out for like any, my older brother who has a son who has cerebral palsy um, and a couple other sons as well and a daughter. So, so much more of the family is now here. Yep. And there's also a lot of potential long-term need and a lot of long-term care. Uh-huh. So kind of getting set, settled back in the house has been kind of stepping more into that adult role. Okay, what happens in case anything happens to my mom? Mm-hmm. You know, um, what? who's responsible for Dwayne? So those are all kind of conversations that we're having in terms of like what the family would look like if, you know, God forbid something happens to my mom. There's there's no thought of even having him be anywhere aside from with some member of the family. Right. You know, um, even though like he's been my mom's primary responsibility since birth, um, there's an understanding that he wouldn't be anywhere else. But aside from with with me or my sister or my brother, I have one last question and it's not really a question. It's more of a comment. I just have such gratitude for you because this year has been so hard and weird and it's It's only 2021. It's only the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Like this actual like 14 months or whatever that I've lived in California. Oh, got it. Got it. I actually can't even remember how we found each other. It's through Facebook. So I remember you posted on Facebook saying, um, it was, a, it was a picture of you, Zewu, mm-hmm. Sammy. And, um, and it said something like, you know, in San Jose, you know, beautiful view from our, from our place. Mm-hmm. And I think I just hit you up saying like, what are you doing in San Jose? <laughs> Very good novel question. <laughs> yeah, because it was right when I was also kind of coming back. Mm-hmm. We have friends in common. Friends and, in common. And we went to go get bagels. Yeah. And I just, we had so much fun. We were laughing and we were talking shit and like talking about podcasting. And, and then suddenly we were just in a pod. But I guess what I'm just saying is like, how cool that this happened to us. <laughs> and totally. now like we get to do this at the end of the season of the thing that I made during the the pandemic um so yeah i just appreciate you being open and fun oh well it's cool that we get to be a pod together you know a pod on talking on a podcast there you go you again know, with those first jokes time. you got jokes <laughs> you got good jokes yeah all right well thank you so much thank you dawn is such a great human And I'm so grateful I've gotten to know her during the pandemic and that she was generous enough to share her story with all of us. As the pandemic fog starts to lift, I know Dawn will stay a part of my chosen family. But I also know that this is a big moment of transition for a lot of us. As we get vaccinated and venture back into the world, I think it's going to be important to rebuild our connections with people in an intentional way. Life is short. Time is precious. The pandemic has made all those delicious cliches feel sharper and more true, right? So who do we really want to spend time with? Who challenges us, supports us, and helps us be the people we want to be? Who makes us laugh? Don makes me laugh. 
My husband and my son make me laugh all the time. My mom makes me laugh. I want to be more present with the people in my life. When I'm lucky to see more friends and family in person again, I want to really soak them in. I'm thinking about this a lot lately. Pause, be present, whatever the hell it is you want to say. When I have conversations with people for this podcast or just in everyday life, I want to lean in and learn as much as I can. I can't believe I'm saying this, but this episode wraps up season two of our podcast. We are hard at work figuring out what our next steps will be and trust and believe we will be here for you in some way in the future. I just want to take this moment to express my sincere gratitude to all of you who've been listening to this show throughout the last year. This show from our production team, My Chosen Family, to you who are listening is such an important part of My Chosen Family too. And I'm getting emotional just because, man, I don't know what I would have done without this show. It has cracked open a kind of creativity for me and the people in my creative pod that I never even imagined. And I just want to thank you for spending some time with me and the fascinating people I've talked to. There was just something about his like queerness and his gender presentation. I just felt this huge amount of feelings that I didn't know what they were or what to do with them. And as soon as the film ended and the credits rolled, I just burst into tears and I could not stop crying. And my mom was just like with me and trying to console me and kind of asking me what's wrong, but gently, and I finally just said, is it okay to think a boy is pretty? And she just hugged me and said, yeah. I know my parents wanted to give some sort of gift of my father's um, ancestry and heritage to me, and so they were like, yes, Shireen, it makes sense, and, and it makes sense for a few reasons. It makes sense because it's easy for Americans to pronounce much easier than Marisol and my mom didn't want me to be called Marisol like aerosol she just couldn't <laughs> deal with that I had a secret surgery spinal cord tumor removal surgery and I told my mom and of course they were like crying and, and I told them the story of you know Tyler taking care of me that was the breakthrough moment basically I think in my relationship with Tyler and my relationship with my parents And she said, I've given for 50, 60, 70 years. I don't want to give for a while. And I thought, huh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you don't have to give anything to anyone anymore, actually. You, you can just take. And why not? I am forever grateful for my Royale Court because those are the ones who block out the hate for me. I don't have to do much work whether it's my guardian angels or my angels that are here, my cyber angels. You're not going to talk bad about my Latrice, you know, that's <laughs> the way they yeah. are. Yeah. But what I stand for, I stand for right and righteousness. And so if you're not about that, then yeah, no, I'm not your cup of tea. If you are a hater, then no, I'm not your cup of tea. I still cannot believe I got to talk to Latrice Royale in my closet 
and Ben de la Creme and meet Sam Walker and all of you incredible people. Thank you so much. And thank you especially to today's guest, Don Frazier. You can find out all about Don at Don J. Frazier, spelled F-A-S-E-R dot com. And you can find us, This Is My Family, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TIMF Show. Our website is TIMFshow.com. This show is a production of thestoryproducer.com, and I want to take a second to thank each and every one of the people who have spent time with me on this project and helped bring it to life. First of all, the always kind and imaginative Katie Clarkson, who handles our story edits, the first draft of these shows. Then the detailed and delightful Jackie Ball, who bats cleanup and sorts through all of the tiny, little meticulous details that need to be softened and cleaned up. And we've got the professor of drag and the wisest person I know, B. Bosco, who helps us really on whatever we need. And then we have our senior producer, the creative mind without which the show would not have happened. She is the heartbeat of This Is My Family, Trisha Bobita. And then there's Adam Yaffe, who always answers my calls and never once complains. He edits and mixes this thing. And finally, the one who I've really known the longest out of this ragtag crew and the epitome of class, grace, and musical prowess, Andrew Edwards, our composer. And last but certainly not least, our art director is my beautiful, handsome, sexy husband, Ziwoo Joe. If you connected to this show, listen, folks, share it with a friend. Word of mouth is how we amplify these stories, and that is the point. Spread that this is my family love. And thank you once again so much for listening over the course of this year. I'm Tyler Green, and until next time, stay beautiful and messy. And get your vaccine. Is the podcast all done, Sam?